This is the Redeeming Productivity Show, where we talk about technology, techniques, and theology in the light of Scripture to help Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. I'm your host, Reagan Rose. On this episode, I'm joined by Eric Weathers. Before entering full-time ministry, Eric enjoyed a 20-year career with the FedEx Corporation in various individual contributor and management roles in Los Angeles, Memphis, and Chicago. The Weathers are members of Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas, where Eric frequently preaches in Sunday school and other special events. Eric completed his MDiv and Doctor of Ministry in Expository Preaching at the Master's Seminary. Eric's doctoral dissertation is entitled, Work in a Manner Worthy of Your Calling, Practicing Biblical Principles in the Marketplace. After serving as a pastor for four years, Eric now serves at the Master's Academy International as the Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships. He has the privilege of preaching in churches and conferences all around the world. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here with you, Regan. It's uh, it's fun to become more acquainted with Redeeming Productivity. I've listened to several of your uh, your shows already and enjoy following you on Twitter just to kind of keep up with what's going on. So this is, uh, this is near and dear to my heart. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny. Um, Eric and I were both at uh, recently at the Keith and Kristen Getty Sing Conference in Nashville, and that's where we met. Um, and even though we both went to... Uh, the master's seminary and we kind of travel in the same circles we'd never met before and we kind of bumped into each other because we were at the same booth and uh got talking and found out we shared a similar interest which is pretty cool okay kind of the the main reason the main thing i wanted to talk with you about today eric i want to talk about a lot of stuff but i know your interest in uh, the marketplace christians living out their faith in the marketplaces is near and dear to your heart and and a major facet of this of what I'm trying to do with with this podcast and with the blog concerns Christians being productive in the marketplace, living out their faith in their vocation in the world. So let's talk a little about that, and then we'll get into um, some of the specifics with your dissertation. And you did some evaluation of John C. Maxwell, who's kind of the leadership guy. I want to talk about that a little bit, and then we also want to talk about uh, TMAI, the Masters Academy International. Sounds great. Let's go. All right. So let's get into it. So, Eric, what, what got you interested in thinking about Christians in the marketplace? Wow, great question. You know, um, FedEx is one of the most amazing companies on the planet. The, uh, the training and the quality of instruction there was world class. But, you know, as a believer, probably like most believers, I wanted more. I, I hoped the Lord would bring another businessman to challenge me to, you know, hone my craft and to mentor me with biblical principles that I could immediately put into place at work. And you know, I searched for books, uh, went to seminars, listened to sermons, or looked for sermons teaching on, on, on values based on biblical, the biblical author's intent. And, well, you know, here's the deal. I, I wanted to be equipped to effectively serve Christ in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, as expected, most content was man-centered. It was self-improvement. It was the, you know, the proverbial health, wealth, and prosperity-driven uh, content. Finding biblically sound material was was time consuming, and I'll be honest, it was quite frustrating. So, apparently, the Lord heard my complaints. I was uh, I was convicted in my doctoral studies to do the exe- the exegetical work on the topic, which resulted in my dissertation and then nine sermons as a result of that dissertation that I preached on 
well, the, the big title was Walk in a Manner Worthy of Your Calling, Practicing Biblical Principles in the Marketplace. So I guess that's what really got me going. Yeah, there's definitely a need for it. Absolutely. You know, in the introduction to the chapter that I read from your dissertation, you said that the redeemed in the marketplace long for godly mentors to encourage them to work worthily of their calling, which is exactly what you were talking about. So in your experience, from what you read as you were digging into that stuff, do you think that the church is failing to equip believers who live and work in the secular marketplace? What is it that's, that you found that's missing? You know, I think it's a bigger picture than, than even that. When, you know, it, what, here's what it comes down to. When pastors fail to preach God's word in keeping with, uh, with the biblical writer's intent, we call that authorial intent, the, the Lord's dishonored and, and his people don't know how to apply God's word on the corporate clock. I use that terminology frequently in my in my dissertation. I'm, I'm talking about serving Christ while on the corporate clock. And I love the way that Paul laid it out for Timothy. He said the Bible is profitable for teaching and, and for reproof and for correction. And really, you know, germane to redeeming productivity and honoring Christ in the marketplace, the scripture sufficiently trains the redeemed in righteousness. Here's why. It's right there in the text. So, so that believers are adequately equipped for every good work even on the job. So, so the interpretation of a biblical passage matters because it drives the sermon. Preaching persuades listeners to apply the text. Well, if what's said in the pulpit betrays the biblical author's intent, then the application can pr produce disastrous results, even on the job. So to your question, here's, here's what's missing. And I developed this further in, in my dissertation and, and the sermons I preached. When when, when passages like Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 are preached in context, the context of the book, the, um, the redeemed know how to, how to work worthily of their calling from Ephesians 4, 1 and 1, 4. And you know what? They're filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5, 18 because they submissively do their work and lead their employees as though working for Christ himself or as the case may be for the employer, as though managing Christ himself because he's no respecter of persons in verse 9. Um, you know, I look at it this way. I, I wrote the dissertation primarily to encourage pastors. And, and so pastors should preach passages like Psalm 15 with marketplace men and women in the church in mind. This is what's going to affect the marketplace, I believe. You know, King David's question in Psalm 15 is who can be in God's presence? The redeemed, even on the corporate clock, can be in God's presence because, and it's just five verses. I just love it. He breaks it down so simply. Uh, those in the workplace can be uh, in God's presence because they work with integrity, they work righteously, they speak the truth from the depths of their souls, uh, you know, they, they swear to their hurt, meaning they don't break promises, even if it's going to cause them harm. And they use their money wisely, and they don't get bribed. So I believe that's what's missing, the clear preaching of God's word for the equipping of the saints. Eric, that that's that is interesting. I if I'm understanding, you're you're saying that like the the Bible speaks sufficiently to Christians in all walks of life, and and if if, if pastors exegete it properly and and do the work of of applying it and make valid applications with their people's lives, what their actual lives are like in mind, then that is going to speak to the workplace. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like the, the scriptures is sufficient. We just need to tell people what they mean and 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 how to apply them. Reagan, you said it better than me. Uh, that's exactly it. Just faithfulness in the pulpit, because as, as God's 
pastors, as, as they shepherd their people, their purpose is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And, and the work of the ministry is, you know, it's evangelism, even on the corporate clock, as I said. It's, it's an ability to apply biblical principles at work so that they serve Christ in the marketplace. Hmm. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a clear declaration of what God's word says and, and the ability to apply it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and it's kind of sad then that, you know, people feel like they have to go and look elsewhere outside of the Word of God or, or you know, try to appropriate all these things like, okay, so who's who's written about Christians in the business place, in the marketplace? Not that those things are bad, but it's the in concept, you know, a lot of the applicationists will get to in some of those books is not very good and not very biblical, but it's kind of sad that, that it is so simple. You know, there's some terrific books out there now that men have have gone into the details of scripture and some of them are diligently working in the marketplace and they they have developed a biblical theology of work that then helps the you know believers to apply it in the marketplace one thing eric i I get the sense from and i i ran into this a lot when i was um in full-time ministry um was that that other Christians, you'll talk, you'll get to talking about what you do. And when I would say that, you know, I'm a, I'm a college minister or, or campus pastor, things like that. Um, other believers would say, oh, I'm, I'm just um, this. I, I, I'm just, I just do sales. And there was almost this, uh, they're almost apologetic that they weren't a pastor or a missionary or, or someone like you and I who, who works with the parachurch ministries, like, like they've settled for second best. And, and if they were really serious, then they would do something more spiritual as a vocation. Have you encountered that? Uh, are, are believers who, who don't give their lives to full-time ministry somehow settling? Regan, um, boy, that is such a great question. And it grieves me. That's a question that grieves me. I receive it frequently. Most people don't realize that God's first words to man in Genesis are his job description. God commands people to subdue the earth and to rule over every creature. That job description remains in full force today, but because of Adam's rebellion and and the curse, work is difficult to the extreme. So a believer at work is uniquely positioned to reflect God's glory in a way their church staff have, have never experienced or will never experience if they're not out there in the marketplace. So so as believers, as those listening, work as unto Christ, uh, the product of your labor should be for his glory. When things aren't going your way at work, God uses you as a light in a dark place. When, when people at work want to know what makes you tick under pressure, what's, what's different about you, why, why do you hold things together, then you know what? They've invited you to talk about God's sovereignty and your passion to work as if serving is unto Christ, Ephesians 6, 5. So I know what you're thinking. It's like, yeah, right. Um, I don't know your boss, but, you know, perhaps your boss doesn't know the Lord. And I would say serve like Daniel. His boss didn't know the Lord, and yet the Lord knew Nebuchadnezzar. Exercise courage in the Lord like Joshua. Be faithful to the Lord in a dark world like Jeremiah. These guys had it tough. They They were missionaries serving the Lord in horrific, conditions, and yet they they trusted in God's steadfast loving kindness. And you know what? The Lord delivered on his promises for each one of them. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. I, I appreciate that. Another, this is kind of picking up on that same aspect of, of people feeling um, 
that perhaps they're working in a secular environment is somehow less than, um, and I get the sense from some people they're, they're almost apologetic for the fact that they, they get paid well at a, at a secular job, like, like that they have to stave off the accusation that they only chose to, to do that so they could get rich. Should believers feel, there's a lot of bad teaching, I think, out there about um, the believers in relationship to money and, and the nobility of poverty and things like that. Um, should believers feel guilty about making good money in their secular jobs? And, and does God want Christians to prosper financially in the workplace? Wow. Um, boy, another great question. You know, you and I talked about this um, at the uh, Sing conference in Nashville not too long ago. And we, we got to talking about the, what I call the Gaius principle, right? So as I said, it's one of my favorite topics. I, um, I, I think of it this way. I taught global supply chain management at FedEx, and we, we could quickly realized that companies don't compete against companies. It's supply chains that contend with other supply chains. So, you know, the, the strongest supply chain wins and a company lacking effective uh, partners, well, it dies. And so we have to think of the Great Commission as a great supply chain. When we talk about people financially prospering in the marketplace, this is really important. Um, another way to think of it is I work for TMEI. So TMEI's professors, their missionaries and their pastors are one link in that entire chain. They can preach, they can teach 24 hours a day, but if they don't have the needed resources to train up the next generation, you know, the, the church suffers on a global scale. So back to Gaius, I, I think of Third John, and as I think of Third John, when I started my dissertation, I didn't even, I don't remember reading Third John, I'm sure I did, but as I, I heard what was in that passage, I went back and read it, and I was shocked at about how this small book, this tiny little letter to a businessman named Gaius, it's really the smallest book in the New Testament, I was surprised because it addresses your question so well. So, you know, for your listeners, when's the last time you heard it expounded from the pulpit, this book of Third John? If believers don't work to produce an income, the church's inability to subsidize the financial aspects of the Great Commission is, well, it's an offense to Christ. Here's where marketplace believers are vital linked links to the Great Commission. You know, John says that those who support missionaries in 3 John verse 8, there's only one chapter, so it's just verse 8, he calls them fellow workers with the truth. Just let that sink in. They're not pastors. They're not missionaries. They're fellow workers with the truth. In other words, their link in the supply chain is absolutely critical. Gaius had a reputation with missionaries. You'll see it in the text. Um, and, and he had a reputation with their sending churches. And the reputation is that he practiced the truth that they proclaimed. You know, you, you got to get to know this guy. Gaius didn't personally know these missionaries. In fact, right there in the text, they were strangers and foreigners to him. And yet he cared for them in a way that was, I love this, worthy of God. And it made me think that Jesus did this same thing. Jesus died for the sheep. Believers must have this same standard of excellence, shouldn't they, to to the extent that they might even die in their quest to care for and support God's ambassadors. So yes, it's vitally important that believers work hard in the workplace, take care of their families, have a great testimony. But for those who are making a significant income or some income, they need to be a part of that supply chain. So 
I look at it this way. Here's where it really blows the whole thing open. In verse 2, John prays for Gaius to prosper in a few things? No, he's, he, he prays for him to prosper in all things. And I just dawned on me, why is he praying that? It sounds like health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Well, John wanted Gaius to know he's praying for him because Gaius faithfully supports and underwrites the Great Commission. But you know what? Believers need to, need to be praying, just like John prayed for Gaius, need to be praying for one another to prosper, not for personal gain. Our prayer is for marketplace workers to represent Christ well at work so they can be fellow workers with the truth in verse 8. So, by stewarding God's wealth towards training tomorrow's shepherds, pastors will equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so, we in our churches ought to be faithfully praying for one another to serve Christ well in the marketplace and to uh, steward the financial resources he gives towards the Great Commission. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's it's not a less than thing. It's just a different a different part of the supply chain. I love that supply chain analogy. It helps me think. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's so many good implications for it too because even when you're on the other side of it like you're a, you're um a church or or a, a missionary raising support, having that understanding that you're not you're not out there begging or something. You're giving an opportunity to another believer to share in the work of ministry in a unique way. That's so important from that side, too. Amen. Uh, William Carey called them rope holders when he was going to India. Uh, he said he would go, but he looked at the guy sending and they said, but you got to hold the rope. And the implication is, guys, if you don't hold on to me, if you don't take care of me when I'm over there, this ain't going to work. Yeah, absolutely. That's so critical. It's so critical to understand. And, and the Lord... The Lord uses the means of people who, who are working in the secular marketplace to support the, the work of the Great Commission and churches locally. Like none of this stuff would work if, if everybody was in full-time ministry. Nobody, there'd be no churches, there'd be no missionaries, you know, there'd be no, there'd be no um, funds to make it happen. You know, Paul, Paul speaks so effectively to, to that idea, doesn't he? He talks about the body working together. If it was just the mouth flapping truth but nobody to send that mouth anywhere. It would just be flapping truth in a room. So Eric, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about on the podcast today was about John C. Maxwell. You have a, a chapter addressing him directly. And and if listeners don't know who John C. Maxwell is, he's kind of the uh, Christian uh, leadership guy. That's how he's positioned himself. He's written, how many books has he written? Like a hundred, over a hundred books, right? It's significant. I last year, I think the number that the amount of books he sold was over. It's it's probably close to thirty million by now. About a year and a half ago, it was twenty eight million. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's kind of the. I mean, I remember. I can't tell you how many John C. Maxwell books I've written, but I remember people would hand them to me anytime I was in any kind of leadership position. Like, here's a book you got to check out. And he's kind of the go to Christian guru on leadership, um, and and. And you spend an entire chapter kind of going after him. And, and so who is John C. Maxwell and, and what made you decide to address his writing specifically in your dissertation on, on Christians in the workplace? Dr. Maxwell is a, he's a pastor. Uh, as you said, he's a world recognized, world renowned authority on leadership. New York Times has recognized him as a number one best-selling author, not once or twice, but I believe at least three times. Um, Inc. Magazine. Now, there's a magazine most people in the marketplace are familiar with. Out of uh, out of 50 top contenders, guess who gets the number one position on leadership management expertise? Any idea? 
<laughs> Would that be John C. Maxwell? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> um, it's been said, I don't know if he's the one that says this or if it's just in the writings, but it's been said that he speaks to several hundred thousand people a year, and I believe it. Um, I, I wanted to research Maxwell because on the inside dust cover of, of his, what's called the, um, the Maxwell Leadership Bible, uh, he claims, quote, that the Bible is his primary source for leadership principles. Well, whenever I see statements like that, I think, well, in, in this case, that, that's a bold statement. And if, and if it's true, then I needed to study John Maxwell's use of the Bible to see if his applications align with the biblical author's intent. In other words, is, is he mining the text? Is he mining the biblical author's uh, purposes in a way that his conclusions help me to apply God's word? And that was important. And if he if he is, then 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 I need to listen. If he's not, then I need to be very concerned. If you could kind of boil it down to to one main thing or several things, what what's sort of your main beef with Maxwell's approach to the Bible as you got into it and studied it? What was it you found that uh, made you want to address that? You know, I I um I closed the chapter. You know, I believe you're going to make this available to anybody who wants it on your website, right? I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. So right at the very end there, in my conclusion, I, I found that Maxwell's methods of biblical interpretation are a, uh, are a rejection of biblical authority. That's what it comes down to. It's a rejection of biblical authority. And so what's the danger then for believers who, who are looking to take leadership principles from him? Uh, what's the danger for those who take Maxwell at his word? Yeah, this is, this is where pastors need to be very cautious with the people in his church. Um, it's his lack of exegetical research, his, I don't know, spurious extra biblical revelation. Uh, he has these fanciful visions and, and believe it or not, he has conversations with the dead. Uh, and, and these may lead some people to unbiblical conclusions and applications never, ever intended by the authors of scripture. Yeah, that's, it's kind of bizarre. As I was reading it and you were quoting him, I I couldn't believe that this was being said in like a mainstream book. Some of the claims he was making, extra biblical revelation and, and talking, he talked to Ruth, like what, I, it's, it's odd. Um, There's uh, <laughs> his book, um, uh, Wisdom for Women in the Bible. He talks about how he is in his quiet time and he lays his head back and he feels the wind and he finally enters this field of flowers blowing and he sees a woman coming towards him and it happens to be his mother who had uh, just been deceased a few years and uh, she says hey uh, he says to his mom are, are we in heaven she says yes are we going to see Jesus she says no but we're going to we're going to talk to some women of the faith <laughs> and so he has a conversation with Ruth and with other women of scripture that's so strange. Well, so what's the problem then? What's the problem with, with leaders particularly, or, or any believer? What's the problem with them believing that they're hearing directly from God outside of the scriptures? Yeah, you know, this is something people in our circles deal with a lot, I think. It's, it, here, here it is. It's, it's a violation of the biblical principle, well, the, the Reformation principle of sola scriptura. Scripture is the believer's sole source and all-sufficient authority for life. And, and so to get these kinds of visions and conversations with the dead is it, it, it just goes outside the bounds of scripture and, and worse claims of direct revelation from God places the leader above, above God's authoritative Holy spirit and, and inspired inerrant word. 
in Maxwell's case particularly, the research demonstrates specific examples of where his extra-biblical revelation, his conversations with dead people, run completely counter or contrary to the simple reading of the biblical text. Well, and I think a lot of believers don't, who haven't thought about this, who casually say things like God told me or, or things like that, you, you mentioned the word authority a couple of times. I don't think they realize that when you make claims that, that God is telling you things, which we have, we really have no biblical warrant for thinking that God can, is, is speaking directly to every believer outside of the scripture. When you say that, you, you're setting up a competing authority of revelation. Um, and I don't think people understand the implications of doing that. Yeah, that's right. It it comes down to, God, I want you to talk to me, and what I think you're saying, um, I'm going to take it as what you're saying. And, and and really what it comes down to is this, is, is we're saying the 66 books of the Bible are insufficient to guide us. Now, we've all heard this before. If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible, and if you want to hear him louder, read it loudly, you know? Let God's word um, speak into your life, and there's enough there to practice and to and to try to get to know for a lifetime. We don't we don't need to have some fanciful conversation. And in Maxwell's case, uh, the conversations he had ran completely counter to the biblical account. And I go through various examples of that in my research. Yeah, that's so good, and that's that's really so much of of what I what inspired me to want to start talking about this subject is that issue of authority, not just with competing authorities to the to the Bible in terms of extra biblical revelation, but even in pragmatically people taking and adopting um, unbiblical philosophies about biz- business or um, about how the world runs, which you see all the time in productivity or, or um, leadership books and, and those things competing against the authority of the scripture. And I, I'm, I'm convinced from Scripture that the that the Bible is sufficient. It doesn't mean that we can't take helpful, um, practical things from from other um, books and other things that are out there. But having having that foundation, right, that that the Scripture speaks sufficiently to how we are to live this Christian life, that has to be our our starting place. Otherwise, we're going to get caught up. In a million different things, a million different claims, whether the people claiming to speak here from God or from the dead, or if it's just people saying, hey, here's some secular philosophy that's actually um, is going to be better for you and how you think about work, even though it runs counter to scripture. Yeah, exactly right. And that was the, you know, that's really it. That's the crux of the issue early on. I just found that the books and, and messages I was getting were you know, good ideas, things you could practice in the marketplace, uh, you know, put, put to practice, but did it really align with God's word? And, and so that's really where I wanted to do this research. And I found that Maxwell ran contrary to that, like significantly with the amount of writing and speaking. To Another thing uh, I, I picked up on while I was reading your paper, with, you had a lot of quotes from Maxwell. And another thing I picked up on was how he defined success. It, you know, he, he didn't go out of his way to define it per se, but he seemed to write a lot, almost braggingly, about how many people he had fired when he came into new churches or how many congregants the church uh, grew in and how much money they took in and how that was better than the year before. And these were all his metrics for success in, in Christian ministry. 
aren't these the world's metrics of success? Like, shouldn't ours be different? How sh- how should a Christian leader or a business person? How should we be judging success in our own lives or or in the churches we lead or or in the, the if we're leading a business? What what's our metric for success? You know, we we both maybe had uh, uh, a professor at uh, the Master Seminary who said that repetition is the key to learning. Hmm. Yep, Maximus, I believe, was our Greek teacher who said that. Yes, so that's I'm right. From Maximus here, and you know, I like the way Paul defines success, and we've already kind of talked about this in Ephesians 5, 6, 5 through 9, they work as unto the Lord. So uh, working as unto the Lord um, is that which leads to success. King David, again, repetition, King David defines success for the redeemed in Psalm 15. As I said a moment ago, they who have the characteristics to be in God's presence are successful because they, their lives are filled with integrity. They work righteously. They they speak the truth from the depths of their soul, and they, uh, they swear to their hurt. Even, even to the point where it's going to hurt them, they keep their promises. Forget the, um, the ironclad, you know, 100 lawyer documents to tidy things up and to hold people accountable. Uh, they have God holding them accountable. And, you know, they're people that use their money wisely. They, they can't be bribed. And so I would say that these are the people who are successful from a biblical standpoint, and as you serve Christ in the marketplace, the rest falls into place. And I don't, I don't want to make it sound so simple, but you know what? I just firmly believe honoring Christ in the marketplace is what brings success. And, and I'll be the first one to admit, because there's probably people in listening to this, or will be people listening that know me personally. And they'll say, well, but he didn't model it that well. And I knew him. And you know what? They're right. These are things I wished I'd have known. I didn't know a lot of this stuff until I dug into it myself, which is, you know, I wanted to know these things, but who was teaching it? <laughs> so, so here we are. And, and I can't go back in, in history and relive this thing, but prayerfully I can encourage others to really know God's word and apply it in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think that's so critical. In fact, I, I, it'll probably, by the time people listen to this, come out, I'm doing an episode uh, entitled Ruthless Integrity, and it's basically about that, that whole thing of you, you, your primary goal is to honor Christ and all that you're doing. And the detail, and that, that is actually going to, you know, in most cases, uh, make you better at your job or whatever you're doing, but more so that's, that's what's most important in all of it. Whatever it is that you're doing and all that you do, you're doing it to glorify God, right? And, and if you're not doing that, then you're failing. You could be doing great at business, but if you're not doing it to glorify God, you're failing. Eric, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about TMAI too. That's the Masters Academy International. Um, and nowadays, that's your primary vocation, right? Working with the Masters Academy International. Could, could you tell us a little bit about TMAI? Sure, yeah. You know, I, I guess just in a nutshell, we... We have training going on in, in 15 brick-and-mortar countries where we have brick-and-mortar, but we're, we've extended our training into 70 nations around the world. Uh, think of it this way. TMEI is training more than, than 2,000 men to be faithful expositors preaching God's Word in their own language so, so that the, the saints in those churches are equipped to uh, make biblically sound disciples both locally in their church and worldwide. It's a great commission thing. We want to train up saints in their own language to do this. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I love the ministry of TMAI. Uh, it's just so strategic that you start so far upstream 
training men to to do what we were talking about earlier is exegete the word of God soundly. And then that just trickles down through through discipleship, through pastoring. And that's how you over time impact an entire nation. I just think the it really is a strategic mission you guys have. Uh, and what's your role? You know, I often ask that question. And, uh, you know, in a recent staff meeting, John MacArthur joined in and he made the comment. Uh, he said that TMEI is the world's best kept secret in world missions. And my response was, yes, Pastor John, but we're here to change that. And so uh, it's my privilege to increase the awareness about TMAI. Uh, it's a huge blessing for me to meet with individuals and churches, uh, organizations to demonstrate how we train indigenous pastors on a global scale, and, and we're training them to uh, diligently present themselves approved of God as workmen not ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. And, you know, we've seen the downside of not accurately handling it. Well, we, we hold them accountable to do that in their studies. That's so important. Um, and I think listeners to this program would be interested in upcoming conference uh, TMI is hosting. Uh, could you tell us more about the work and witness using your vocation for gospel impact, that conference? Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about it. We, uh, we, we bring in um, people in industries, various industries that know God's word and serve them in the marketplace. And they, some of them, uh, they're not preachers, uh, but they can share a testimony about the Lord's work and their um, industry. Uh, we have doctors, we have lawyers, we, we have federal judges, we have business people. Um, unfortunately, our next conference won't be until another year. We're going to be holding it at the University of the Philippines in Manila. We don't have any in the U.S. scheduled. Uh, we, we work with organizations that would invite us to come do these things, and so that's kind of how it works. But I'll say this, because your, your interest or your listeners are interested in redeeming productivity, you should know that that TMI has a passion for serving marketplace workers, and we, we host these conferences. And you can listen to the recordings that I've mentioned by visiting TMEI.org, and just simply need to click the audio, that's the audio link in the upper left corner of the webpage. And, you know, over time, we'll be adding testimonies of marketplace believers and sermons to the site, so be sure to come back and visit us often. Eric, this is just such an important topic, and I'm so glad that you took the time uh, to address it uh, in your dissertation um, and, and with us today from a thoroughly and robustly biblical standpoint. I just really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us on the show today. Well, Reagan, thank you for the kind invitation. This was uh, certainly a highlight. So for, for me personally, thank you for, for allowing me to come on and, and enjoy this opportunity with you. Um, you can find out more about the work of the Master's Academy International by going to redeemingproductivity.com slash training, or just go directly to tmai.org, or you can uh, click the link in the show notes. And I'll also include a link to Eric's chapter on John C. Maxwell from his dissertation. And please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review of the podcast if you haven't already. And remember, in whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And I'll catch you next week on the Redeeming Productivity Show.